Lose the Cape podcast, episode 148. Okay, this is an amazing episode with a representative from the organization MomsRising.org. You may have sensed a particular shift in our um, approach lately where we've been a lot more focused on talking about issues and um, kind of our roles as moms and uh, and the importance of bringing forward issues, talking about issues, especially those that impact women, mothers, and children, and trying to be a voice for for change and more importantly, just a voice for um, knowledge purposes, just for kind of spreading the word on things that busy moms don't often have enough time to stop and think about, like maternal justice and um, maternity leave and all of these types of things that are so important for us, but we may be too bogged down and too busy to think about. So we're trying to make sure that we are covering these topics and issues and bringing guests that are talking that are talking about these things and providing resources so that if this is something that you want to get more involved in or learn more about, it's very easy for you to do so. So I'm excited for you to listen to this episode. But before we get into it, I do want to say, please, please, please check out our sponsor, Binka Bear. We made Caitlin Pierce and her Binka Bear product an honorary sponsor because of the importance that we feel in sharing this particular product. She came up with a fantastic book and a prototype bear that you can actually, it's a beautiful stuffed animal bear and a beautiful storybook so that when it's time to take away that binky from your child, they you can actually tuck it and sew it inside of the paw of this bear and the bear stays with the child and the child is comforted and you don't have to go through those screaming matches or, you know, trying to hide the passy or all those other things. Caitlin has to raise all the money in her um, Kickstarter campaign in order for her project to be funded within the next few days. So the link is in our show notes. You can go to losethecape.com forward slash podcast forward slash 148. Um, find out all the great information on momsrising.org and this particular episode, plus all the information that you need to um, support Binka Bear. Even if you cannot afford to make a donation, although I will say even $5 will help. If you're empathetic to other parents going through this, if you had a horrible teething experience, uh, not teething, ah, a horrible binky experience with your child and want to just share this amazing resource, even if you can't donate, please, please, please go to the ba- page and share, share, share with everyone that you know. It's so incredible and we really want to help her get this project off the ground. Talk about mom supporting moms, right? This is is so great in so many ways. We're supporting something that can save moms from an awful experience and we're supporting a mom entrepreneur who's come up with a great idea to help moms. So let's do this. Again, losethecape.com forward slash podcast forward slash 148. And I just know you're going to enjoy this show with Nadia and want to jump on the bandwagon to support and get involved as we have. Well, hey, hey, mamas, welcome back to another episode of the Lose the Cape podcast. I am Alexa Bigwarf. And I'm Nancy Caviones. And we are really, really, really excited about this particular episode. I know I say I'm really excited every time we start, but this one, if you've been following my story from the beginning and know how I started with um, infant twins who were born early and then one who passed away after two days and one who spent 12 weeks in the NICU and all of the issues that we had with that and NICU and healthcare and maternal coverage and uh, doctor's issues and all of that stuff. And you know that I became a really big advocate for maternal and infant health issues. You will know and understand why we have this next guest on the show today. So, um, I was about to ask how many people have heard of MomsRising.org, like I could hear their responses, but <laughs> we are really excited to have Nadia Hussein from um, MomsRising.org. She's the Maternal Justice Campaign Director for the National Mothers and Families Advocacy Group, 
Moms Rising, where she heads the work on mass incarceration, police reform, and maternal health issues. Wow, that's a broad span of, of issues there. She's the co-founder of the Bangladeshi American Women's Development Initiative, a grassroots organization that aims to empower, connect, and organize Bangladeshi American women and girls in New Jersey. She serves on the Board of Trustees on the American Civil Liberties Union, uh, where she is the board's equity officer. She serves as the Economic Development Commission and Mental Health Stigma Task Force in her own town of Bloomingdale, New Jersey. She was previously program director at the Andrew Goodman Foundation, where she built, led, and grew the Vote Everywhere program, focusing on making voting more systematically accessible for communities all around the country. She previously served on the National Governing Board of the National Asian Pacific American Women's Forum, and she has a deep passion for connecting grassroots work to system systemic change and reform and increasing the political involvement and representation of women and marginalized communities. Prior to her current work, she organized inner city minority youth in California, taught photojournalism classes to refugee girls, and worked as a domestic violence advocate for South Asian women and families. So basically, this is a woman of my heart. She has the resume that I wish I had, <laughs> and we're so happy to have you here, Nadia. Thank you for taking time. Thank you so much for having me and for even having this podcast. Oh my gosh, what a list of things you have done. And you look 15. I'm super <laughs> impressed. <laughs> I, thank you. I'm, 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 I mean, I don't care about that. I'm 34, but <laughs> I'm not 15. <laughs> then even for 34, you have done a lot. Um, so what, what started, we're very interested in this idea of what gets women off the couch and into advocacy and activism. How, do, how did your journey in all of this begin? I always say I can't remember a time where I didn't care about making a difference in the world around me. And that might sound kitschy or, or cheesy, but even as a little girl, uh, I, I credit that to my parents. My parents came from the country of Bangladesh as immigrants to, to the United States in 1984. I was born within a year of them being here. And they always um, imparted to me that um, service was so important. Uh, you know, my parents are practicing Muslims. They always taught me that Islam, many people use their faith as, um, as an inspiration for their service. And my parents, that was the case for them. They always said, you have to always care, people who don't have what you have, um, there's always somebody who, who doesn't have what you have. So um, work as hard as you can to, to realize that how lucky you are. Um, and and how, what you can do for others, um, and you know, seeing their struggles in America as immigrants who really came here for the American dream, mm -hmm. to have a, a you know to have children who could get educated, to um, build a life for themselves, a successful life, maybe with a house or or economic stability. Um, but unfortunately, that dream never came true for them to this oh. day, um, due to my father's mental illness, a lot of discrimination against my mother because of her accent, because of her coming from. A Bangladeshi background, being Muslim, um, being brown, um, you know, frankly, um, a lot of just anti-immigrant sentiment against her, uh, um, anti, I don't know, brown people sentiment against her. And so we did struggle a lot growing up. And when I was in college, my father actually ended up um, incarcerated uh, as a, as kind of an end result of his mental illness. And uh, that, you know, that was a big, um, that was a big uh, hit to our family. Um, but my activism had started before then. I think um, at that point, though, it really uh, galvanized me even further. Um, but yeah, I just, uh, I, my, my great grandfather, my mom's grandfather used to um, fight British colonialism uh, during the Gandhi era. He was part of Gandhi's party. Um, he was part of like, he'd weave his own clothes so they wouldn't buy British goods. Um, I've, had, <laughs> I've had family literally run away from the British, come to America because of their activities against colonialism. So, um, so I guess you could say it might be a little in, in the blood, but um, I take them as inspiration, frankly, um, to always make the world a better place, no matter where you are. Um, I'm an American. I was born here. I saw the good, the bad, the ugly, um, but I would like to see the good um, yeah. a lot more for our families. Oh, wow. Well, that, just that short, brief personal history explains so much of what's in your bio now and brings it all together. Because I was thinking incarceration and maternal health, how do these two, <laughs> but they're passions of yours. I think um, we see that a lot with women who take on a cause or really want to make a change in, in the system is because of something that has happened to them personally or to a loved one. So that's really cool. Um, 
you, um, I, I love this idea of vote everywhere program. Um, I think that it's really important that, especially with what we've seen in the past couple of elections, that everybody get up and get out and, and vote. So are you still involved in that or was that something you established um, and then have moved on from? That's something that um, I didn't establish, actually, the executive director of the Andrew Goodman Foundation, Sylvia Goldman, um, she established that. And for context, you know, Andrew Goodman was a young man who was murdered in, in the 1960s, registering voters uh, in Mississippi. And that made national news as part of our civil rights history of this country, um, of some of the sacrifices that were, the real sacrifices that were made by people who literally died for the vote. Um, he was killed along with an African-American activist named James Cheney and, and Mickey, um, uh, Mickey Schwerner as well. There were three young men who were murdered by the Ku Klux Klan for coming into Mississippi to register black voters. Um, um, and and so the family the the family started this his mother started this foundation and then his brother took it over and that this is the brother's wife who had this idea of after the 2015 Supreme Court decision to take away um, a lot of the protections the Voting Rights Act had had passed and frankly the Voting Rights Act had passed in I believe 1964 in part due to Andy's murder and and so the, the family said let's do some programming around it but they didn't know what that looked like right i mean it's something to have an idea but to bring people together who can see that make that happen and so when i came on board um i worked with her to take this little program and expand it um to college campuses across the country and when we say vote everywhere um and i, I mean i'm not affiliated with it in any kind of paid capacity but i am on a advisory committee of the millennial advisory committee for the organization um, so I, you know, I'm still in touch with them, but um, the idea is that uh, it's not about just getting people registered to vote. That's not good enough. Uh, it's about breaking down systemic barriers, finding out why young people don't vote. And through our research and great research of partners during my time there, we found out that actually students didn't, it wasn't because they didn't care. Um, if anything, young people care more now than they ever did. They're so much more active in civic organizations. Um, just their involvement in issues and social justice issues is actually quite high, but the translation into going out to vote um, and accessing the vote. Um, young people move a lot. There's barriers on campus. Polling places are inaccessible, especially if you don't have a car. Um, you know, um, people don't, um, don't know how to, if you're living on a dorm, that's a whole, a whole other thing. So the whole point of Vote Everywhere was to have student leaders on different campuses identify the barriers that are there and work to systemically dismantle them. And that could look like bringing a polling place on campus. That could be like getting your school to invest in vans to drive students to polling places so the turnout gets gets higher. It could be to um, it's actually a challenger state and get a law passed, which happened with Louisiana State University, our young person there. Um, she actually got a, a voting law passed in her state um, that made student IDs into voting IDs for Louisiana public universities. So I mean, it ran the gamut from small actions on campus um, that made voting more accessible long term um, at to changing laws. And, and so and so that's what Vote Everywhere was. Um, and I, I think it went from, I believe, like 19 schools to about 43 schools by the time wow. I left within two years. And I think now they have maybe close to 50. So it's, it's grown a lot. Um, and the young the, the college students that come through that program are really the best and the brightest. Um, and th that gives me a lot of hope um, for our future. And we see it as relevant. Everybody's being galvanized around elections now, which is wonderful. But this needs to be a long-term strategy. Um, what's happened in the United States did not happen overnight. It's very systemic. It was planned. It was strategic. And, um, and people who want to see positive changes for families in our communities um, need to think strategically and long-term. Mm -hmm. Well, I think your background is fascinating. I feel like I could, I could ask you to talk about the different things. I mean, working as domestic violence advocate, all of these types of things, working with refugee girls. I mean, I, I think we could have you on the show about 100 times and not get all of the information you have to share. But let's specifically talk about um, Moms Rising and how you got involved there because I really, um, it's a passion of mine to get moms involved in some level of something. <laughs> Even like when we feel like really overwhelmed with being home with small children, like this is why I love your organization. You've made it so easy to get on the email list and when something comes out, you can literally you know, click a button and within 30 seconds, you've written your senator and said, this is important, you know? So how did you get involved with Moms Rising? 
I actually found out about Moms Rising at Net, in Netroots Nation. It's a national conference of, of um, well, like progressive organizations, but even more specifically using digital um, technology and technology organizations um, and how nonprofits and movements can come together to util really utilize that. And I just remember seeing just uh, just even like the the logo and the the setup of I, I and I saw a lot of Moms Rising staff everywhere, which was really cool. I'd never heard of the organization before that. And I was just so impressed by, I mean, these smart, intelligent, passionate women who are also moms working for Moms Rising. And um, I love the, sh the, the swag. <laughs> giving. I mean, it was just really like well done, right? I mean, you get impressed by good branding. And Moms Rising had really great branding. And I was like, oh, I've never heard of this. And I never even thought of like moms being involved like this in an organization for moms. So I was luckily able to connect with some staff there just because they were awesome. And we became Facebook friends. But I um, mean, you know, I was, as you saw my bio, I was involved in a million things. Um, and I guess really at the time, I didn't see Moms Rising applying to me as directly, even though I thought what they were doing was very cool. And, uh, you know, a few years later, I had a child. Uh, my son's Akir. He's three years old now. So I, I am a mom with a very young child. He's coming home at 11. You might hear the bus honk at me. So I'll like, tell you that if it happens, I run out like a crazy person like I usually do. Um, but, um, but yeah, so I think when that happened um, and, um, and, you know, I didn't have the flexibility at work, with, especially with a young child. And, you know, my child didn't have um, any of these major health issues that a lot of mothers face with their children. And even with that, it was so challenging for me to make the time to work, which I love working. I, I, um, and New Jersey is one of the few states that actually does have paid maternity leave, and I did take advantage of that for sure. Um, sure. But even with that, right, it was, it, I, I was like, I'm just not being able to, um, I mean, I guess balance is a really terrible word because it doesn't exist, but even attempting to balance motherhood and work and making an income for my family. And when I saw a position open up in Moms Rising, I, I was like, oh my God, like Moms Rising, I mean, this makes sense. I'm an activist, I care about all these issues and now they have an opening and I'm a mom too. Yeah. As a caveat, you do not have to be a mom to be a Moms Rising member. You do not have to be a mom to work at Moms Rising. Many of us are mothers um, who are members and, and staff, but that is absolutely not, um, not a requirement at, at all. Um, but for me personally, just as somebody who was a new mom and who was already an activist, it just seemed like the perfect fit. And um, you know, I applied for this, for this job and I was just so incredibly lucky to have the stars align and to be able to do this work. Um, I get to, you know, I do, I do work from home. Um, I think Moms Rising practice, practices what they preach. They really value about um, having flexible schedules so that people can attend to their daily lives um, and, and be there for their children and families, but also contribute and, and be their full selves as much as possible. And, and you know, you, uh, you mentioned that, you know, how, how having moms involved in any, in any sense, like you're very passionate about that. I mean, it really makes sense because all of these policies we see impact our daily lives. It impacts right. mothers disproportionately. Yeah. Whoever you are in whatever walk of life, um, if you're a mother, unfortunately, that's a, that's, a mark, that's a mark against you, which is ridiculous that right. everybody comes from a mother. Whenever I've talked to maybe even a room of politicians or, or anything, I always say, uh, who here did not come from a mother? Right. <laughs> like, who here did not come from a mother? And I, that's why I say with Moms Rising, I'm like, if you care about moms, you came from a mom, then you can be a mom rising member. I think coming from a mom is really like the, the like the elite, like the, the common denominator here. Right. And, and just to think that um, you know that being a mother, which is you know it's it's uplifted. Oh, you're a mother. It's so special. It's so much lip service is given to mothers, but it's lip service. It's not right. policies. It's not actual support. It's not um, systemic things that work to enable a woman and a mother to contribute to society, to raise children with support, raise healthy, happy, supported children um, in society. And, it's, and when you look at other countries and you compare us, you, you think of how far behind we are. When mothers are put on a pedestal, um, it's fake because there's, there's no support under that pedestal to keep us there. Um, mm -hmm. And so I really applaud you for, for your passion behind this. And I 100% agree with you that as mothers, we feel so overwhelmed. I definitely feel very overwhelmed. But I also know that I have a lot of power, but I can't, I can't put that power out there unless right. I have support. It's so true. I mean, we're just, it's kind of funny because our, our platform has kind of evolved and um, 
Uh, Nancy is my third co-host, actually. <laughs> and and we started, I started this by myself a few years ago because I was staying at home with three small kids and I was lonely. So I just started reaching out to other moms to interview them about what the heck they did during their day because I was like, I don't know how to do this <laughs> and, and having phone conversations. And then it started, we, I was building a business. So I was talking to entrepreneurs and then I've been doing my advocacy and kind of slight activism to the side the whole time. But then in this last year, when everything has blown up, I was like, this is where I feel really called to be part of the conversation um, is, is showing moms that, cause our platform is, you know, that, we should encourage each other. Motherhood is hard enough. We don't need to be tearing each other down and, 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 and ripping each other apart for making different decisions. So I'm like, this kind of flows nicely in with how can we help all moms, regardless of, of which side you vote on, regardless of what you're doing, but everybody become a part of the conversation and more than anything, become educated about the topics so that when you are part of the conversation, you're not part of the bad conversation. You're, you're part of making a change. And I have a hard time finding any mom who wouldn't be on board with things that make uh, maternity leave paid. Um, I can tell you when I was in the hospital, uh, I spent, thankfully I had left my job right before I got pregnant with my twins. I spent 10 weeks on bed rest and then um, 16 weeks total in the hospital between me and my daughter. Um, so I would have lost my job hands down. There's no way. I mean, in South Carolina, only if you're in an FMLA organization, which has to have 50 members or more, which I was, you can take up to 12 weeks off to care for yourself or a family member, but you have to burn through. Um, it's, it's usually unpaid. And um, so with my second child, I had to take six, six weeks unpaid leave to be home with her. Um, and, and it's just like, this is ridiculous. And I saw moms in the NICU who literally gave birth and went back to work within two days. Um, if you look at our um, audience, like the people who listen to Lose the Cape and a lot of the moms Alexa and I meet, they, a lot of them became entrepreneurs exactly because of the way um, mothers are treated in this country. Because yeah. we have no like real kind of maternal um, leave policy, no family support. I mean, I personally ended up leaving my job because I couldn't afford childcare. I'm just gonna stay home and I'm gonna start my own business, right? Where I can make my own family policy. Right, right, right. You know, I make my own hours. If my kids are sick, it's like not a big deal. If I need to like take time off if I'm sick I could take care of myself you know and nobody can tell me oh you need to be back at work at eight weeks or 12 weeks if you had a c-section right right you know like how nice of them you know well, so, um so yes I mean I the whole I mean I think a lot of people when they think of maternal justice they think of like third world countries where women don't have like access to you know, um, appropriate medical care, and they have to walk miles to any kind of clinic to have a baby. So can you um, talk a little bit about maternal justice as it relates to um, American women? Also, I think that, like, you know, definitely, even though we hear stories about, you know, women um, having, like, bad birth experiences or traumatic birth experiences, we don't really think of it in terms of maternal justice. So can you Talk a little bit about, you know, what that means in America. Yeah, yeah I mean, so, you know, the, the United States has the worst maternal death rates of any developed country. Um, our death rates are, I mean, I think in, in England, you are, it, American women are more likely, are three times more likely to die than women in England and Canada uh, due to childbirth. And even countries like Libya and Vietnam and Turkey, we have worse, um, worse maternal death rates than them. So, you know, this idea of who, who has good rates because of an image, I mean, that really gets blown away when you look at um, maternal mortality and morbidity. And just to clarify, um, mortality means when you do lose your life due to, due, due to birth. Um, and, and morbidity means you get a, some kind of grievous injury or condition or health issue, long-term, long, longer standing health issue because of, of, of birth. So, you know, sometimes um, I believe when you look at the birth uh, death rates in this country, it's about 900 women per year, which is high. 
Um, and definitely it's high compared to, again, other developed nations. It's the highest. But the morbidity rates, women who, who get injured and hurt and have medical conditions, um, number in, I think, the like something like hundreds of thousands and tens of thousands in the United States. I mean, that means you're sick. That means that birth caused you grievous injury to your body and you don't have the paid leave. You don't have that, maybe the health coverage, the, 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 um, the quality health access you need. Um, you might not have the job protections in place um, to be able to take care of yourself and let alone take care of a new baby. So it all really ties together. And, and for black women, that another big part of this is for black women, they die at three to four times the weight of like a white women. Yeah. And this has been a stat that has been unchanged. I mean, which a lot of the maternal health issues we're seeing today, you know, seeing a lot of media on it, which is wonderful and some legislation, but the rate for black women has been terrible this bad since 1915. And it has gotten almost no attention. Uh, there have been activists that have done this work for years and years and years who have tried to bring attention to it. And they've either been silenced or not listened to. Um, and frankly, the maternal mortality, the, the death rate I'm talking about, it absolutely cannot be addressed unless this a disproportionate death rate that black women are facing is addressed head on. It absolutely cannot be impacted unless that is a, really a foundation of, of addressing this issue. Wow, that's that's crazy. I, I was just scanning through the news the other day and I saw something about, was it Serena Williams or Venus mm -hmm. Williams? Serena, Serena Williams. That said she nearly died afterwards and about, I want to say six, eight months ago, there was a woman in Atlanta um, who passed away very unexpectedly. And I'm sure she's only one of many, but mm -hmm. she, her parents really made a big deal out of it because she was a very educated uh, African-American woman. You know, she was doing everything right. And she said her doctor just wouldn't listen to her. Mm -hmm. And they were talking about, you know, some of the other issues going on with, um, it's just, it's completely, I, I think we have a big problem in our, in our, overall medical health for women, but for yeah, women and I want, and I want to point out because you mentioned Serena and this, uh, I believe she was a, a public health uh, professional as well. The woman who, who yes, died that's in, exactly in right. Georgia. And, and so, you know, this three to four times the death rate is independent of age, uh, dis, mm -hmm. uh, um, uh, age, economic condition, uh, education, um, and location and zip wow. code. So, you know, someone like, I think Serena Williams, unfortunately, highlights what happened, right? I mean, she is, I mean, how she's one of the, if not the best athlete in the world, okay? So right. her physical condition right. is, I mean, like, I mean, above almost anybody else's, even other athletes. And she, you know, her, her, um, her partner is, you know, he's a big Silicon Valley. I mean, the money is, you know, obviously like, you know, a high income and, and here she is in the hospital, not being listened to. Mm -hmm. And to the point where she literally got out of bed, let her mother, like, did, didn't even notify her mother. She didn't want to alarm her mother, got out of bed after giving birth, went to the doctor, said, no, you need to scan me now. You wow. need to do this because they were like, oh no, it's just something else. And they found out, you know, she has a blood clot, clot condition and she was forming blood clots. She was right. And oh if they hadn't caught it, she could have died. Right. Yeah, I mean, but what's crazy is that like, she knew that she had this condition. Mm -hmm told them she had this condition it was in her medical records and they were still like no it's okay get back to bed I mean the same thing like happened to my mother she almost hemorrhaged right. my younger sister because like they were not paying attention they were not listening to moms they were not especially not listening to black women and there's definitely when people ask me like when I tell them you know three to four times they're just like how how is that what right. what is killing black women and I'm like well obviously there's not just one thing but one of the big things is um is frankly racism is killing yeah. black women I mean yes. and and I always and uh you know there's a wonderful groups like black mamas matter alliance you know uh black women's health imperative that have been doing work um you know uh, like, you know, elevating black women's uh, stories, but also elevating the solutions and the issues that are happening in the communities. And over and over, it, 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 you see this racial, this racism where black women are not listened to, their pain. Like if a black woman says, I'm in pain, it's like, oh, you're exaggerating, you're being dramatic. But if a white woman says she's in pain, she gets attention. And, and it's this ingrained um, racism that, you know, we're not just calling out doctors or, or, or nurses. It's just, it's so ingrained in this medical system that was actually, that was not created to uplift black women. Like, let's be very clear. This is a very 
systemic foundational um, white supremacy that that has been ever present in the medical system and working to slowly unpack that and being much too slow um, uh, is 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 a, very, a monumental task but that's what absolutely needs to be done because um, it's just over and over even if I'm I'm talking to women who are PhDs and and they say what well, but when I come in they look at me as like I'm a like I'm an unwed black mother and all the judgments I mean it's, it's ridiculous like are you supposed to come in with your PhD and your graduation cap to to prove that you, you deserve care that you deserve to be listened to um, that's absolutely ridiculous and frankly black women and black babies are dying black babies die at twice the rate of white babies um, and when you look at different states like New Jersey um, I think you know or even New York I think in New York black women die eight times the rate of white women I mean you look at different states even states like New York and New Jersey that have um, you would think oh there's diversity oh they're, they're maybe the states with more progressive politics but it's across the board it's, it's that ingrained that's crazy I mean I felt like my doctors didn't listen to me and I'm a white middle-class woman so I can only imagine how frustrating it is for people who are legit being profiled and 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 prejudiced against what I don't even know what that word is <laughs> but it's, I, it's you know in general like women are just so condescended to yes even when you feel empowered like Alexa said they're like a middle-class white woman and you know it just like that is just like a little drop of like what um black and brown women experience I mean it's like nuts but, you know, I think it goes even a little bit farther into our medical system. I mean, there's so many issues. Good grief. We could never unpack this whole thing in one hour. But it's, it's even common things like when I, it turns out that I had lupus when I was pregnant with my second daughter. <clears throat> the pregnancy, the stress going on in my life, a whole bunch of things. I had other autoimmune conditions. Um, anyway, I was having like horrific, horrific pain in my knees, like horrific, like it made me cry to climb stairs. And I told my OB and she was like, ah, you're pregnant. You've gained weight. And I'm like, no lady, I've been pregnant before. My knees did not hurt like this. This, And she like flat out ignored me. <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> well, Alexa, I wanted to tell you, you know, stories like, like the story you just shared. I mean, you know, one of the biggest tools that Moms Rising uses, we have over a million members, is storytelling. We know that listening to mothers and storytelling about, like, how many experiences did you mention that, that could address, be addressed by paid, pam, paid, um, paid family leave, paid sick leave, healthcare access, all of these things? I mean, they're not we silo them, but they're actually, they all kind of happen together. Yes. And we actually, we created a maternal health story and resource book. And I can definitely email that to you yes. um, where we collected stories from each state just to kind of get a, a slice of what's been happening. And just like, just like your story, I mean, we have stories again, in South Carolina, New York, Wisconsin, again, almost every single state and over and over again, what you hear is mothers not being listened to, um, being downplayed, um, being actively, um, you know, act just being even, treated very aggressively and even in our staff and again it's not like oh well I'm more empowered I'm an activist or I have a degree and that's that's going to make all the difference now of course we're not going to deny that privilege exists and there is dark differences right, of, of what you have access to um, but even our moms rising staff um, once we started the storybook it's, it's insane how many of our own staff who are you know educated women activists doing so much great work in their, in their own communities said the same thing about their birth experience they weren't listened to they almost died they had a condition that lasted a long time even when I just talked to new friends I've met I've met just casually in my life they they're like oh I had I got sciatic I couldn't walk for two years I'm just like what like yeah, and, and the thing is, I think that because our, these stories aren't out there um, and women are taught that suffering is part of motherhood, suffering is part of being a woman, um, that, oh, that's just, that's just what happens. Um, oh, you just deal with it and you just keep it to yourself and you, and you don't even have time to talk about it. You have to raise these kids. You have to um, work for these kids. Um, you have to, you know, support your family. You don't have time to care about your sciatica or your right. condition. And, right. and, and where do you even have the time or space to, to talk about this? Um, and that's why even a storybook is one place where it's a way to talk about it. Um, uh, we have Facebook lives when we go on the Hill. So, uh, to advocate on issues, we have moms, uh, hot, in, our, in a press conference the mom is who takes up the most time to talk about her story, which is a story of thousands of millions of mothers out there that are going through this. And, and I'm here to say that 
we don't have time sometimes to tell our stories, but if, but you would be surprised if you share your stories, even with your friends or with Moms Rising or other wonderful organizations, that you will find out that this is not just you, okay? This is unfortunately a systemic issue that is happening and it needs to be addressed. 60% of maternal deaths could be avoided with better access to healthcare. 60%. Think of how many children are growing up without a mother, how many, uh, how many families have lost a loved one because of that 60%. That's really unacceptable. It's uh, it's unacceptable and it's crazy. And if you really want to look at the long term, like what happens then when a child is raised without their mother in terms of socioeconomically, crime rates, all those kinds of things, like what I'm sure there's a massive trickle down effect as well on on what happens to those families. Um, It's crazy. And that's kind of why when you mentioned maternal justice, like, oh, mass incarceration and police reform and, and, uh, and, and maternal health, like how does that all come together? Well, you know, we, um, we say maternal justice. And when we, for us, when we look at the maternal experience, we don't end it just like a month after you gave birth. Mm-hmm. We look at it at the entire maternal experience. So if you're a mother of a, of a, a grown child, uh, an adult child who is profiled and, and killed by police, that your maternal experience include, includes um, a, a killing by the state of your child. Uh, if you, uh, the shackling of pregnant women, and you know, oh that's, uh, that's uh, something we were part of a coalition in North Carolina led by the wonderful group Sister Song, um, you know, th- that they worked on the shackling issue of North Carolina. Women are being shackled um, while, giving, while giving birth and, and, it, wow. it, it, and it increases mortality and morbidity and, it, and doctors and nurses are against it because it makes their job harder um, to think that a woman in labor is going to be car- just walk off, well, you know, and and it, and it just in every possible way, in every human rights marker, the United Nations, everybody says this is absolutely um, it, it it's just torture. It is it goes against any value of human dignity and human rights, but it still happens in this country. And mass incarceration, like you you mentioned, um, losing your family member because of, of the war on drugs, um, and frankly because they're black or because you're you know it, that's why you're losing them to, mm-hmm. to mass incarceration. And and the majority of women who are in prisons are um, are, are sorry in, in, in who are incarcerated are there because of low level drug charges like overwhelmingly yeah. um, the majority of women who are incarcerated have been victims of abuse sexual or physical um, and so basically we are putting victims into prison and and the impact this has on their children socioeconomically um, it, it it costs the country money it hurts families it 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 doesn't allow people to rise out of poverty and and help themselves and help right. their families and there is definitely ingrained in it, an entire racial um, racial disparities throughout um, maternal when you say so we, when we say maternal justice it like I said you know we're not our issues are actually not siloed and that's why even though we're like what does mass incarceration and police reform have to do with being a mother um, it actually has a lot to do with being a mother because again mothers disproportionately bear the brunt of, of the impact of these policies on themselves on their families and on entire communities well, how, okay, so so how does Moms Rising specifically try to deal with these issues? And then the second part of that question is, how do people get involved if this is something that's important? And you guys don't just handle, I mean, there's all kinds of issues that you guys are are working on, right? It's not just... Right, and the best way to do it, I mean, I'm not going to be able to go through every issue we work sure, on, but no, no. Go to, <laughs> MomsRising.org is really the one-stop resource center for, for anybody who's interested, who's listening to this. Um, to just check out and you could definitely see our issues and our pages on there, the issues that we work on. Um, but we work, I mean, Moms Rising started in 2006, um, Kristen Rofinkbeiner and Joan Blades, they're the co-founders. And um, the book she wrote, um, um, Motherhood Manifesto, was a book about how mothers are really not um, hard, disproportionately impacted by policies um, and not really listened to or uplifted um, when these policies are, the, are impacting them. And from there, this movement of Moms Rising began. We work, and one of the first things that Moms Rising worked on was paid leave uh, and workplace policies, which we still work on today. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's been a lot of victories. I mean, paid leave over 10 years ago was just like, 
what are you talking about? It's not even like, that's never going to happen. Right. Good luck. Big, you know, like keep on dreaming. And, you know, we even now we even see and for presidential nominees and presidents, like this is something that's on the forefront of, of agendas and in different states, they're passing paid leave laws. So we've come a long way, although there's a lot further to go. Um, we work on breastfeeding uh, policies that, um, that support breastfeeding, obviously healthcare, uh, improving access to, to healthcare, met the importance of things like Medicaid, um, healthy foods for families and children from policies of cities um, around around food access uh, to even um, the food that's out in like, that you know um, addressing companies that uh, and corporations that um, have an have an impact on the kind of food your children have access to uh, maternal justice bilingual learning bilingual bilingual education uh, early um, uh, social emotional development and early learning policies. So really the gamut of lots of different issue areas. Immigration, um, as many of us um, are seeing now, family separation um, is really on the forefront and it's absolutely har harrowing, but we have, um, our team has been working on this for a while, family separation, even during the Obama administration, although now it really is a whole new ball game in terms of what's <laughs> happening. And we have a, another group for Spanish-speaking mamas, or if you know a Spanish-speaking mama, mm -hmm. Mamas Con Poder, it's a, it's a Spanish-speaking arm of Moms Rising. It's literally the Moms Rising website, what we do, but in a Spanish language form. And, um, and so that's what we, we are very passionate about realizing that we come from a multi-ethnic diverse country and that that needs to be honored and uplifted and, and an absolute uh, core part of our work. Um, so we, we do all that. Um, but, you know, our policy work can be at the federal level. We do a lot of work on the federal level, supporting policies with partners that help moms and children. Um, and especially now there's so many attacks, um, takeaway supports that moms yeah. and children around the country are really reliant on. Um, but, you know, a lot of the work is also in states. There's so much power in states. There's a lot of, um, it's incredible to see the differences between states of what policies are there. So we work on a lot of state, uh, state legislation as well. Um, and all the way to even towns and, and city councils passing paid leave laws in their cities. Um, we work there as well. And a lot of it um, isn't just high level policy work. There's a lot of, we have moms groups, we have moms task forces in North Carolina. Um, and and we, we don't have the resource to have a task force in every state, but sure. who knows, maybe we'll be able to have that one day. Um, we have keep marching groups. Um, Kristen just published a book um, called Keep Marching. So that's also a great starting place if people are um, a seasoned activist or getting involved and you're like, where do I start? It's so much. This is a book that's a kind of a one-stop resource center and all the proceeds go to Two Moms Rising. 100% of the proceeds go to our organization. So you can learn and read, but also that'll go to, to our work. And we, we've done town halls where moms can learn about how a law becomes a bill or how, what happens when you call your legislator. We have um, faith tweet chats uh, every month um, in our different areas. We have a maternal justice tweet chat uh, last Monday of the month, 8 to 9 p.m. We're actually having one this Monday on, uh, uh, on the women's mass incarceration and the impact that has on people and some um, legislation in states and, in, and federally that are working to hopefully address this. And... Um, so it's a lot. We do a lot because moms do a lot. <laughs> yes. We all do like, I mean, me, if I meet any mother that's an activist, they're like, oh, I'm on this board. I'm doing this. And I run this podcast and I do this blog. And, and we have an, an, an army of mom bloggers as well on our Moms Rising page. I definitely would encourage anybody who's interested in blogging for us, including yourself, Alexa or Nancy or anybody you know, um, we, and we promote it on social media. We have, uh, I believe, over half a million followers on Twitter, um, hundreds and thousands on, on Facebook. So word does get out there and we have multiple layers of how we use social media policy um, on the ground organizing getting mothers together in grassroots level supporting local events um, to, to know that change doesn't just come at the top um, you have to really we're at our lives are multi-layered and so are the way we impact issues are also multi-layered it's phenomenal i mean i'm really impressed i was on the website the other day i don't remember exactly how I came across Moms Rising, I, I couldn't tell you, but I know I've been on the email list for a while. I'm sure I must have seen something about a maternal health thing and signed up on the email list. But for for you moms who feel really overwhelmed and feel like, yes, this is important to me, but I do not have the time to take on activism and action and all this kind of stuff, I want to tell you how easy it is. I was on the website before we started this call, and I clicked on one of the issues, and I read through it. It informed me of the issue. It told me what was going on. There's a, um, a petition and you literally click on it and you literally add your name, read through it. You can add a personal note if you want to. You write your name, your email address, and your zip code. 
boom, that's all you have to do. And it sends it off to say that you're part, you know, you're a voice behind this issue as well, that it's important to you. Same with the emails, the emails the other day, one was sent out about a maternal health, um, issue that's going on. Same thing. I was able within 30 seconds to, to, to sign my name to the petition and say, this is important to me. Our voices matter. It matters. And, and that's the thing we wanted to, um, I think, you know, Kristen had this vision. It is to, we, it is, it, she's the mother herself. She had a child who had um, developmental and health issues going. So she had to leave her job and that's what inspired her. Like that was her story of doing this, but we really, you know, we know we're overwhelmed. Moms are overwhelmed. But like you said, it can be as little as I want to do something and that's a click. Um, that's a retweet. That's a sharing of a Facebook post. That's liking our Facebook post. So it gets even more people to look at it. There's little touches that make a big difference. You know, when you work together, it's a big difference. But let's say you're a mom where, okay, okay I have one kid or the kid's a little older now, or you know what? I do have time and I, I want to be able to do more. Um, you know, you can join us for a lobby day on the Hill. You can be a keep marching leader on the ground and organize other mothers or people in your community. You can, um, you know, we can, you can share your story on our blog. You can come to, come to the state house and, sh and tell your story at a press conference. I mean, we work in so many levels as involved as you want to be, whether you have like a ton of time, um, to, to be, uh, to be part of this and, and, or even organize mothers yourself, um, and be very active that way, or you have no time, but even one click, you can click here and there or retweet here and there. Um, you can join us wherever you are. And what I love about it is it's flexible and it's, it's in flux. So you can be more involved at one point, be less involved at another point. Um, I do want to say that um, one of the things that I, um, that, I, that I think is also great about Moms Rising is, um, sorry, I was, I was trying to think about, um, kind of like lost my train of thought. But, um, but yeah, like, you know, people sometimes think, well, what does a click do, right? I might be just right. one of how many names. To give you a context, tomorrow, there's a maternal there's a maternal health accountability act and a preventing maternal death act in Congress right now. Yes, it is actually by, has bipartisan support, which is I mean if you think about it like that's like a unicorn right, right. at this point in our in our lives. Um, but it is it is bipartisan support, and we are going to deliver eighteen thousand signatures that we were able to get in the last week and a half for moms who signed who were, like you said Alexa I'm one of them. like you and one of you and you're one of them and not and you might be like oh we're just going to drop a stack of papers no we look at who is on what committee, okay, and who is, whose vote really is going to count for this. Mm -hmm. And we, we actually break, so Alexa, we will, we're going to hand your name to your legislator. Good. They will get your name with other people in your district and so that they will see, because what do they say? They're like, okay, okay, I know this is an issue, but what about my district? That's who they want to hear from. So even if you live in um, the most liberal parts, it's like we want to push those legislators to get their friends to know that, hey, we have your back because you're already supporting this. But for the people who are not supporting this yet, look at all the constituents that we are, we are able to get from your district to sign on. So your signature matters. Uh, we do, if you're in South Carolina, if you're in Massachusetts, if we have a, a bill in your state, you're not, if, you're, if there's a bill in Massachusetts, a California person's not going to get it. We tailor it to where you're at. If there's an event happening within 10 miles of you, we will let you know. So that's what I love about Moms Rising. We really use the data, um, um, use data to um, be as impactful as possible and to tailor it to, you might be like, if you have a million members, how do you tailor it? We do. We want to be impactful. We want you to know that your signature matters and somebody will see it. We will deliver it and it will make all the difference. It makes it, and you know, you, you bring up a really valid, valid point here on how even more important it is for, especially those of us who are in uh, very red states or, you know, in, in states that don't always uh, support uh, as progressive reform, <laughs> I should say, without, you know, stepping in any political uh, quagmire. But, um, you know, it's really important that moms in places like South Carolina, where our representatives may not be as in tune to some of these things, because it's not getting maternal health stuff isn't getting as much attention as some other things that are going on, that we do take the time to sign those so that they see when they get that list, you know what, there's 80 women in my state who care about this or 800 or 8,000 or, you know, the more, the, the better because and otherwise. And we do in-district visits too. So we have women in Tennessee and Arkansas going to visit and, and arrange meetings with their elected official um, to actually literally talk to them and say, I'm, I live in this town and this yeah. is what, this is my baby. We always encourage moms to bring their children on the Hill. Like we, get, we like, we encourage it. We're like, no, 
civic space is for children. You can't pretend that love mothers and then be like, well, right. Don't forget. Like, oh, like, you know, children shouldn't be seen. And it's like, okay, well, who's raising these kids exactly. Right. So, so, I mean, I, I will say that that's a big thing we do in district visits. Um, but we're not, we're a nonpartisan organization. And I think moms rising strength is that we are in all, in, in every state. And we work on a multitude of issues and with different stakeholders. And, and we know a mom is a mom, right? I mean, whatever political stripe you come from. And your elected official is supposed to represent you. And so if you're somebody who, who is experiencing something that they can impact, they need to hear from you. Yeah. And, that, and that doesn't matter what political background you come right. from. You're their constituent and you can right. vote and you, and you should vote <laughs> in every election. But, um, but I think that, you know, that's one of our biggest strengths is we're not a partisan organization. We are issue-based. Yeah. We care what happens to moms. We are, we go to all, we're all the states matter to us and we will go where angels don't tread because um, we realize that changes can only happen if we organize um, everybody together um, to speak up. Right. So true. Well, I love the organization. Nancy, did you have anything else to add or questions for you? No, you've got craziness happening around you. <laughs> the cat's falling and, you know. The cat's falling. Um, Kids are probably awake now. Well, I, th I think it's phenomenal. And I really, I, I um, so the, let me ask, what is the best way? Is it just to get on, follow on social media, get on the newsletter and actually be sharing the content and signing the petitions as they come out? Yeah, well, if people want to get involved, go to momsrising.org. Do sign up for our, uh, it's our emailing list. It's free. So we always say it's free membership. We don't have dues or anything like that. Um, and, and, you know, click away or don't click away, you know, whatever works for you. So, you know, we always, when you take an action, it has an immediate share on Twitter and Facebook. So you can share it to your friends. You can share it to Twitter. It amplifies that. Um, you know, uh, we, if you, if you have Twitter, not everybody does, but if you do follow moms rising and you'll find out about our tweet chats and the different things and webinars and town halls that we, we do follow us on Facebook. Our Facebook is super active. We're always sharing information and actions on there as well. Um, we, if you, um, sign up for a mailing list, there's also text alerts that you can sign up for. So that's also a quick way. If maybe you're not on the computer as much, or you don't want to be, you can get a text and you just put in your zip code and it immediately tells you how to call it literally auto connects you to your legislative official so you can make your voice heard when like within five seconds um, and for maternal justice in particular if that's something of interest to to anybody listening today um you know we have a maternal justice hashtag maternal justice one word on twitter um last monday every every month 8 to 9 p.m we cover the different topics i mentioned today this monday we're actually we're, uh, doing a women in mass incarceration tweet chat with prison policy initiative they just wow. came out with a report of um the incarceration of women in, a, in the united states compared to other countries and it is absolutely i mean it, astonishing astonishing um how like time like not even like twice as much it's like times like multiple times as much of how our incarcerations are and their impacts and cut 50 is actually going to be a guest for that as well and they're working on policies um to really change this in different states they're doing something called a dignity campaign so if you're interested in that um you could you know retweet us to let other people know about it join us for that at 8 to 9 p.m eastern time on monday um this monday but every monday um that's coming up um go on our moms rising page and there's a maternal justice um little uh that you can go on the different issue areas you're interested in to learn about the issues but maternal justice you can go on there and share your birth uh, we have a birth story collection we're yeah. always taking stories um we also have um we this summer we're having a c-section chronicle story so if you have a c-section story to share um please go on there and share that as well so those are two things we're working on in terms of the birth um help and we, like i mentioned we are supporting the preventing maternal deaths act and uh, in in the house and the sister bill the um, maternal health accountability act in the senate so there is um you can go on our blog or you can go on the w website and just click yes to add your name to that signature we'll be delivering them to congress um the committees tomorrow but it's ongoing it's not on floor for a floor vote yet so we can still use your signatures um we have eighteen thousand, but let's make it forty thousand fifty thousand um right. it, it really adds up and it makes a big difference uh that's fantastic i'm i'm really happy to see this happening um it's great. I can't wait to get more involved and I hope that we send you some new members as well. So <laughs> yeah. And Alexa, we're just so happy to connect with you. I mean, you're, you and Nancy, I mean, I, I think that there's so much synergy between everything we're doing and I'd love to, you know, do more work with you and, 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 and support what you're doing. I think it's incredible. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Nadia. Thank you so much.